0: Russia has recalled its U.S. ambassador amid a further deterioration of relations between the two nations. The news comes after U.S. President Joe Biden said that Russia's President Vladimir Putin will pay for his government's election meddling activities and suggested Putin was a killer. The Biden administration also faces a challenge over its relationship with China as the two sides have been meeting in Alaska today. In the UK, there has been a continued controversy over the government's new crime bill that passed a second reading in the House of Commons earlier this week. Among a slew of measures is one that gives the police more power to crack down on non-violent protests. The bill may still receive amendments before being passed into law. And finally, we'll be looking in on the winners of this year's Pritzker Prize for Architecture. Monocle's panellists discuss these stories here on The Late Edition on Monocle 24. Hello and welcome to The Late Edition here on Monocle 24. It's Thursday the 18th of March and I'm Carlotta Ribello in London. Joining me today from Milan is Europe editor-at-large Ed Stalker, and he's joined by our New York correspondent Henry Rees Sheridan. Ed, Henry, great having you both on the show. Ed, it's been a long time since I spoke to you on The Late Edition. How's life in Milan treating you so far?
1: Um, all I can say is that I'm hugely sleep deprived at the moment uh, despite you know coronavirus and being on a lockdown i think the more pressing concern is uh that my seven month year old son has decided he no longer wants to sleep both during the day and at night therefore if i make very little uh sense today on this show you'll know why
0: Well, Henry, I hope you can make more sense than Ned. Do you have also sleep deprivation?
2: I, I in fact, do. I don't have a uh, child of any age, but uh, I fear that I'm slipping into uh, a chemical dependency on cinnamon rolls from the uh, bakery down the road from me, which might be uh, interfering with my uh, circadian rhythm. I am seeking help and I will keep uh, Monocle's listeners updated on my condition.
0: Well, sounds like we're in for a treat today. Thank you both for joining me on The Late Edition. Let's start the show in Henry's stomping ground, and I guess uh, mine and Ed's former stomping ground, United States. The new Democratic administration faces a number of foreign policy challenges that have been brought into sharp focus this week. There has been immediate fallout from an ABC interview that President Biden gave yesterday, in which he affirmed that he thought his Russian counterpart, Vladimir Putin, was a killer. Moscow has reacted by withdrawing its ambassador to the U.S.
2: So you know Vladimir Putin, you think he's a killer? Mm Mm-hmm, I do.
0: Well, let's take a listen now to Russia analyst and regular Monocle24 contributor Stephen Yell. He told us about Joe Biden's relationship with the Kremlin on the briefing.
1: We know, of course, the Russians would love to have had Trump for a second term um, when he was elected for the first time uh, they, uh, there, were, there was jubilation in the, the Duma, the Russian parliament. Uh, they said, we've got our man in, in the White House. Um, so they're very disappointed to have lost Trump. Um, and they know that they now have a genuine opponent in Biden. So Biden first of all said, you know, that, that's something that uh, we want to sort out. We're not gonna allow that to happen. But also when asked by the interviewer, uh, would you describe Mr. Mr. Putin as a killer? He said, yes. Um, so that has, has really um, thrown the cat among the Russian pigeon.
0: Stephen DL there speaking to us a little earlier on the briefing today. Henry, let's come to you first on this one. Biden seems to have come to power with the aim of being tougher on foreign nations that don't share the administration's values. Uh, is this in line with this or is there an element of gaffe here?
2: Well, I think that more than anything, the Biden administration wants to heal relationships. With traditional allies that they perceive to have been harmed uh, by the Trump administration who uh, was was took a fairly disruptive stance towards the uh, conventional uh, order of alliances uh, in the global community uh, now in order to reinstate those good relations in order to demonstrate America's uh, uh, good faith uh, towards their old friends. That's going to involve uh, uh, looking out for their interests, which often would involve going up against uh, nations like Russia, also like China, who I know that we're going to go on uh, to discuss, whose activities are not in the interests of those allies. Uh, I was surprised, I have to say, with the bluntness with which President Biden expressed himself answering flatly in the affirmative to the uh, question if he thinks uh, Putin uh, is a killer. um, Whether or not that can be regarded as a gaffe uh, will depend on what the upshot of it is. I know that the US ambassador to Russia has been recalled by the uh, by the Kremlin to uh, discuss matters of US Russian relations. Uh, But I I do anticipate heightened tensions between uh, the US and the enemies of its friends, because I think the US under the Biden administration is going to really to be looking more than anything to to, to reestablish its friendships.
0: Well, Ed, the US faces a number of foreign policy conundrums, including how to deal with Iran and, as Henry just mentioned, China as well. I believe there's been a summit in Alaska today, hasn't there?
1: Yeah, interesting setting, Anchorage in Alaska, roughly uh, halfway between Beijing and Washington, DC, I say roughly. Um, uh, it's really interesting, the sort of power dynamics at play here, uh, because uh You could argue it's a win for the US, the fact that this is on uh, American soil Uh, and each side is sort of trying to portray, if you like, the optics in different ways. Uh, You know, the Biden administration making it very clear that this is not uh, a strategic meeting. They're not gathering around a table in front of a fire to discuss strategy together. Whereas China has been keen to present it a bit more uh, in that way, the fact that they graciously accepted the invitation of the US to to attend this summit, uh, which will last over a couple of days, over two days, and you know there'll be some serious heavyweights there, including uh, of course the incoming Secretary of State uh, Anthony uh, Blinken. Uh, now. Obviously, these are two countries that do not see eye to eye. And we know from the lead up to uh, Biden being elected, the fact that in during the campaigning, both Trump and Biden were sort of uh, talking about China and, uh, you know, accusing each other of being weak on China, et cetera, et cetera. So just like with Russia and what Henry was saying, uh, you know, Biden it will be keen uh, to look like he's being Uh, strong and decisive. You know, we've heard Biden say America's back, diplomacy is back, but this is obviously a slightly different um, ballgame in the sense that there is so much that these two sides disagree on. Now, you could say, look, it's great that they're coming together. They seem to be a bit more aligned on talking points than the last time China and the US got together uh, in the summer of last year uh, in Hawaii with Mike Pompeo, a secretary of state, then under the Trump administration. But as I said, there's some issues that will obviously just seem to be off the table. Uh, The South China Sea, Taiwan, Hong Kong, these are all things that China sees Uh, As internal issues, but uh, the US will be looking to push things like human rights and security. Um, What the outcome uh, of this uh, will be remains to be seen. But you know, you could argue that at least these are two sides that are coming together and talking.
0: Well, let's move on to our second topic of the day from here in the UK. It's been a tumultuous last few days and week here in London, particularly, from the outrage over the kidnap and murder of Sarah Everard as she was walking home, to the police handling of a candlelit vigil in Clapham Common, to a new crime bill that, among tougher sentencing for some crimes and widening search warrant powers, it could also get tougher on non-violent protests. Let's turn to one of our experts now, Steve Croshaw, Policy and Advocacy Director, at Freedom From Torture and the author of Street Spirit. He spoke to The Globalist a little earlier today. But on the protest side, specifically, there's a whole rag bag
2: of different things they're producing, imposing start and finish times. Noise limits is one which has been controversial. Even one single person um, can be uh, they've kind of focused in on that, the kind of thing, frankly, that Greta Thunberg would have done, for example, could, could come under it. And what you're seeing is they've bundled a lot of things. You can call it kind of legislation by soundbite, to be honest, in many ways, because even Tories, although it got through very easily um, on, on the reading of it, had this week. A number of Tories are worried as well that it just kind of pulls a lot of things together. The most startling, one of the most startling is, is for example, on uh, on statues where the, the issue, of course, of damage or attack of statues has been controversial in different ways. But it was already a criminal offence to do it. You could already be fined significantly. And now that's up to 10 years jail um, for for attacking a statue.
0: Steve Croshaw there speaking to us a little earlier. Uh, Ed, at the very least, this bill doesn't seem to have been carefully thought out, does it? Including punishment for defacing a statue, as we just heard, up to 10 years. Uh, that doesn't sit well.
1: Yeah, I mean, coming to it, obviously, being outside the UK and so not being enveloped uh, entirely in that orbit, it, it just strikes me as, um, I guess, I'd say it. it seems to be tone deaf from the government. Uh, I think the timing of this bill uh, is not great. And I think obviously, and I think we'll talk about this a little later, the, the bill could change, but I think it fails to read uh, the environment in the UK at the moment. I think, you know, this horrific story, this, you know, this kidnapping and murder, Uh, has really uh, led to a bit of a reckoning in the UK about certain things, including women's safety. And this bill doesn't seem to, certainly for uh, the Labour Party, the opposition party, doesn't seem to address uh, many of those uh, issues. Now, The government says that it does. It argues, for example, stopping early release of sexual offenders, for example, would be one way to cover that. Um, But Keir Starmer, the leader of the Labour Party, has sort of said he would have liked to have seen more uh, in terms of things like um, rape and stalking. Uh, This bill, uh, as that clip sort of alluded to, does cover a lot. Um, uh, Everything from sort of Uh, doubling the maximum sentence for assaulting emergency workers to life sentences for killer drivers. But uh, it is slightly worrying in these times. and, and, And I guess, you know, we always wonder about coronavirus and what the fallout could be with uh you know it, it does a pandemic like this lead to in certain places a sort of creep creep of uh infringement on on civil liberties and I, obviously i think it's you know too early uh to say exactly in this case because we've just had that second reading And as I say, there could be amendments. But, uh, you know, the wording of this particular potential clampdown on non-violent protests, I mean, some of the wording, it talks about causing public nuisance. Now, that is, I'd argue quite a vague terminology and there are people who are uh, pretty worried about this because they believe to the right to be able to protest non-violently and they wouldn't want to see uh, any bill uh, that clamps down on this. Uh, in, in regard to this statues thing it does seem utterly ridiculous uh, that this was even introduced uh, given that there are already uh, uh, you know punishments for uh, defacing um uh, statues, and and given that it is so politically loaded. Uh, and, you know, I've heard uh, various politicians defending this, uh, including on, you know, Radio 4's Today programme. But the reality is that, uh, you know, given prison populations, given the way the justice system works in the UK, it is And entirely unlikely that anyone would ever receive uh, this 10 year sentence for damaging a statue. So why have it there? It seems like a waste of both time and space and perhaps uh, better, smarter, more thought out inclusions could have been in there uh, instead, Carlotta.
0: Well, Henry, as Ed mentioned there, the parliamentary process here in the UK allows for significant changes and the bill could end up being watered down from its current form. But are you concerned about where the Tories may be headed on law and order nonetheless?
2: I think in order to answer that question, it's important to take into account the context in which this uh, legislation was initiated. It was drawn up in the wake of protests in 2019 by the environmental group Extinction Rebellion, which caused significant disruption across London. In the wake of these protests, police chiefs including the Commissioner of the Metropolitan Police, uh, Dame Cressida Dick, uh, expressed frustration that they couldn't do more to lessen the impact of those demonstrations. That's what initiated the drafting of this bill. Now, since then, the context of the debate around the bill has changed significantly in light of the police's handling of the vigil for uh, Sarah Everard last Saturday. Um, They're widely regarded, the police that is, to have mishandled the gathering breaking it up roughly under the aegis of uh, uh, bans against public gatherings uh, in the interests of public safety during coronavirus. And that uh, has cast the legislation in a completely different light. The broad powers that it gives to the police raises the spectre of more scenes of disproportionate policing, uh, whereas previously they were meant to address a disruption caused by Demonstrate, widespread demonstrations like the Extinction Rebellion protest. Uh, so, when asking what did this bill say about the Tories' general stance on law and order, it was initiated in a very different uh, a very different context, and not as a direct response to the events on Saturday. There are some Tories as well who have expressed reservations about the contents of the bill, as has been mentioned. Having said that, there are clearly items in the bill that point to the Tories, some Tories, anyways, uh, position in the broader culture war, the statues item being uh, chief among those. Uh, but it, it seems to be a little bit of a grab-a-bag of policy that says more about the Tories' general government style than it does about uh, a coherent stance on, on law and order, in my opinion.
0: Finally today, let's step away from the grim current affairs headlines to some truly good news. The Pritzker Prize for Architecture, a reputed international award dating back to 1979, has this year been awarded to France's Anne Lacaton and Jean-Philippe Vassal. Their body of work, which focuses primarily on social housing, stretches over three decades. And let's take a listen to what Monocle's own design editor, Nolan Giles, had to say about the win.
2: Yeah, I think there's so much uh, that can be learned from, from architects uh, like Lacaton and Vassal because what they're doing is is, is kind of it goes against the grain a little bit you know i I read about how they would rather present a spreadsheet of costs to a potential client than a beautiful visualization of what the work is going to be because you can't really create a drawing and say this is how the building will look they want to say you know this is how much things are going to cost and this is how much we can improve the building they're very methodical they're very kind of uh humble in the way they go about it and i think this prize will definitely spotlight them and give them the opportunity to win bigger projects, uh, work work on more interesting international work, and like you say, inspire younger architects who may have never heard of them before
0: our very own Nolan Giles there, speaking on this morning's Globalist. And this was the first time the Pritzker Prize was awarded to a firm known for its reuse and redevelopment work, rather than starting from the ground up. Well, Ed, is this a reflection of this pandemic? We're starting to think more uh, about architecture that helps other people, and more importantly, then reward it.
1: I think it's kind of a really interesting uh, idea. And, and it And it's something we've talked about Uh, at Monocle uh, this idea it's kind of surfaced in in our magazines I think really uh, more so since this pandemic this idea of being kind and and sort of thinking about others and it's it's just interesting to see that spread uh, into the architecture field and you know obviously I I don't know uh, completely is the answer, but the fact that the Pritzker Prize uh, has awarded this, I, I feel like it's a a very big step to sort of recognise this, um, uh, because you know they're renowned for sustainable housing projects, and I, I you know one of their taglines is kind of this idea of the enrichment of, of human life. I I think it just sends a very powerful message about building and 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 these are sort of all questions that we've been asking at Monocle within the pages on some of our shows like the Urbanist this idea of you know how we'll rethink cities in the future not just post pandemic but going forward and and that will involve uh you know solving things like uh social housing conundrums, the fact that more and more people are moving to cities and they'll be they'll need to be clever urban fixes for that uh, and everyone everyone will need to have equitable housing and you know another one of uh, of this studio's sort of mantras is this 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 idea of never uh, demolish the fact that you know you don't need to necessarily knock down that building and start again which has often been so uh, part of a part of thinking in many a a US metropolis this idea that if something gets to a certain age it needs to be swept away and something new and shiny built in its place and they really seem to kind of be the antithesis of that this idea that you can refurbish it and, and and you see that in lots of that work in lots of their work so I think uh you know In a way, unsung heroes, perhaps, you know, not star architects or huge names, uh, but I think a really important move and an exciting move. And hopefully it will mean more work for them and more people sitting up and listening to some of their ideas that can hopefully expand and be taken on uh, around the world. Carlotta.
0: Well, Henry, Ed was mentioning there uh, affordable housing and this idea of, you know, quality of life and making cities better through architecture. In fact, you spoke to an architecture studio based in Los Angeles for a recent Monocle issue that is precisely trying to do that and also trying to help solve the homelessness crisis. Uh, tell us about who you spoke to and what your takeaways were.
2: Yeah, I spoke to an architect called Angela Brooks. She is uh, one of the partners at Brooks and Scarpa, an LA-based architecture studio uh, known for their uh, socially uh, conscious, I suppose, uh, architecture. Um, so one of the things that we we I discussed with her was uh, uh, a rapid construction housing kit, a kind of modular architectural kit called nest, uh, which is designed uh, to be uh, utilised by local governments and nonprofits in the LA area to address that region's uh, profound homelessness problem, the idea being that you can relatively easily and cheaply uh, knock up uh, the custom-built uh, housing units uh, that can accommodate uh, people who do, who do not have a fixed address. Um, but it was also interesting just to talk about her philosophy uh, and the way in which she's cultivated a slightly unorthodox architectural career. From the very beginning, uh, she's, she's cultivated uh, uh, not only private contracts, but also uh, working with non-profit developers um, uh, to make sure that she has a diverse portfolio. Uh, Brooks and Scarpa also work on what they call intangible building projects. So these are architectural projects which don't actually involve building anything uh so they they devised a construction manual uh for the city of fort lauderdale in florida uh which is meant to provide uh, guidance for planners and builders working in that city to meet the challenge of rising sea levels um which i think is very much in line with the philosophy of the winners of the of the pritzker prize in the sense that uh Sometimes the application of principles or the formulation of principles or ideas uh, can, can be of as much impact as actually laying down bricks and mortar when it comes to, to, to improving the built environment.
0: Well, and for anyone who wants to read more about uh, the architecture studio and the piece there, they can head over, over, of course, to monocle.com and browse through the issue. Well, that's all for today's Late Edition. A big thank you to Ed Stalker in Milan and to Henry Reese Sheridan in New York City for joining us today. Our studio manager was Louis Allen here in London. A big thank you to him as well. The Late Edition returns at the same time tomorrow, but for now, from me, Carlotta Ribello, thank you for listening and we'll see you tomorrow.